0: We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Hey there. Have you been looking to expand your impact and reach? Then you must learn to tell your story. Don't know where to start or how to begin? The Ultimate Speakers Guide will walk you through what you need to know step by step in a faster way. Click the link in the description to get started. Welcome to the Bridge to You podcast, hosted by yours truly, Monique Russell, where we focus on promoting Black unity worldwide through conversations that help us understand ourselves and each other. Well hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Bridge to You podcast. I'm your host Monique Russell and today in my guest chair I have someone you are going to be delighted to meet. She is the Executive Director of the Caribbean Cultural Center for African Diaspora Institute. She is Afro Puerto Rican heritage, and she is known for her ability to extend an olive branch, build connections throughout the diaspora to celebrate heritage, culture, and the arts. I really should call her the money lady because for some reason she knows how to get people on board like Ford, Rockefeller, Hearst <laughs> Foundation, New York community. We're going to have to talk to her about this, but please help me welcome. Thank you. Miss Melody Capote, welcome thank to the you, show. Thank you so much for having me. I am so delighted. So, Melody, I often ask my guests the first question I ask my guests is if you could choose to be anywhere in the world right now, where would you choose to be and why?
1: Ah, oh, that's a tough one. Um, being of Puerto Rican heritage, Puerto Rico is always like my favorite spot. Um, always it's where I recharge, I get close to the to nature close to the water but I've also been asked where in the in the African diaspora where would I see myself being and I am a Bron- I'm from the Bronx in New York originally born in East born in East Harlem Spanish Harlem. So um, when we talk about the diaspora the African diaspora and the fact that we're present all over the world there's no better place for me than the Bronx New York Nice, and, and then why would you choose the Bronx? Because of the diversity of particularly African descendants in this borough. So many folks don't know there's a very large uh, Garifuna community here. Puerto Rican, of course, Dominican, lots of Central American folks. And then there's a, the Northwest Bronx with, that's recognized as little Jamaica which has a very huge um, Jamaican population. So I think the richness of what is um, African descendant culture and African culture, we have a large West African community here as well. And so the richness of what I can find right in my backyard is just amazing.
0: Mm, Talk about a blessing, a blessing to be able to have so much richness right in your own backyard. And that's gonna have me jump right into um, a little bit about the center because it's almost as though the center is an extension of your home. It's an extension of your backyard. So can you tell me just a little bit about the center and what it does and
1: why you chose to devote your life to this work? Well, the center is a, in April, we will be 45 years old. Um, it was founded by Marta Moreno Vega, who is very well known for the work in this field, the advocacy she's done around equity, cultural equity, and really highlighting the common thread we share as people of African descent. Not many people know that Marta's also my aunt. And so when I came to this work, not only was she just starting to, formed the center. My mom also worked with her. And so I just came to this, just kind of by osmosis, really naturally. Um, My mom being a, a black Puerto Rican woman, we both, Marta and myself, learned so much about our Puerto Rican culture. Just hearing my mom's stories, who was born and raised on the island, we were not. And then I was a black studies major in college. And that was really at a time before it was even very popular to study that, or even find, Programs around Black and Puerto Rican studies in universities. So it was fairly new um, for what was kind of the early mid 70s. So there was a lot I was learning, and a lot of professors and people I was meeting on the university side that I was able to introduce to Marta and the work she was doing and trying to build. And vice versa, there were people we were meeting, I was meeting through the center who we would invite to the university to speak to students or to the Black Student Union and so on. So it kind of came that way. My interest was always around Black and Puerto Rican history. And then this work was happening already. Before coming to the center, I also did some volunteer work as a teenager for El Museo del Barrio, which is another community-based museum in East Harlem so there was always this this connection you know to mm. the, the the culture and the art and the creative expressions of of people of African descent so that's that's what brought me to the center.
0: Mm. I, I love that so much Melody because it's like you had such an immersive experience with your entire family something that so many of us could only imagine and dream of and here you are in the flesh living and live. it's almost like from birth, you were dropped into this awareness of the beauty and the richness of the diaspora a community. You know, the, the podcast is really all about this black cultural understanding because for a lot of times, and a, a lot of people tend to have these divisive views or divisive thoughts of different groups or ethnicities within the black culture. But I want you to speak about this topic from your experience in the arts. I've heard, it, heard you talk about how you've seen firsthand the arts and how it can be used to unite and be a uniting force for the diaspora.
1: So if you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I think when you talk about an institution like the center, whose work has been always to highlight and celebrate the creative expressions of people of African descent, we would produce any event, but let's say a concert, which most folks take as, you know, a fun night out. Our concerts were always about showing the common thread that we share as people of African descent. And so an example, take the theme of say carnival, you know, carnival as we, as we know it throughout the Caribbean and Africa, right? Carnival traditions, we would host an event where in one afternoon, one evening, you'd have a group from New Orleans with Mardi Gras, a group from Brazil with Carnaval from Brazil, and maybe a group from Cuba with the comparsas or all, all carnival traditions. And so with the fun and the music and the color and the drumming that you get, you would also get a visual understanding as well as an MC and program notes that would explain the intersectionality of these traditions that would explain the root culture in Africa and how, because of the diaspora, you know, with Africans dispersed throughout the world and landing in places like New Orleans or landing in Cuba, and I'm saying land is a really wor- horrible word, but being in these places, how important it was for our ancestors to hold on to those traditions. So where there might be differences and there are always going to be differences, what we highlight is the resilience that we as black people have given our lives to holding on to what we can of our traditions. So as a cultural arts and education organization, one of the things we do say as an arts center is that we're not about arts for art's sake. Everything that's on display, everything that you find at the center. And I would say this would be true for most organizations that are culturally grounded in community. It's really an art of survival. Mm. You know, we're not supposed to be here we're not supposed to be here. And yet we are. Um, Those traditions, carnival traditions, sacred traditions that we practice, that many of us continue. I'm a priestess of the Lukumi tradition, of the Orisha tradition, which may be different in Cuba than it is in Brazil, than it is in Africa. But the fact that we're able to even say there is an Orisha tradition Mm -hmm. is huge. It's huge. And so, You know, ours is an art of survival, ours is an art of resistance, and that's what's celebrated through the exhibitions that we host, the the performances, the conferences, the numerous in-school programs that we do, because you're looking at, particularly in New York City, a population that's primarily children of color who are still receiving misinformation about history, who are still celebrating a Columbus Day, a man who didn't discover anything, a man who brought disease and genocide, but we're still, we're still learning about Columbus. We're still learning language that comes from a deficit. Th- there's still those of us who say, you know, we minorities, we're not minorities.
0: In wow. this country,
1: people of color are the majority population. If we look at ourselves as a whole, Asian, indigenous, black people. But if we want, if we want to wanna focus on African descendant people alone. We are no longer a minority population. And until we kind of change and shift that mindset and our narrative and the narrative we share with our children, we're not going to see the changes that need to come because it has to start with us.
0: This and so is, that's
1: that's what that's the role we play.
0: There's so many things that you said just now that I, I just want to go in so many different of uh, directions and dive deep because the whole aspect around language and having that deficit, and then this intersectionality of tradition. so so your your center, the arts is is this way of preserving what we've lost. and and reintroducing that we have this commonality. You know, earlier this morning, I was being interviewed and someone asked me the question, if you were to connect people from Africa, the Caribbean, the Americas, um, through language, what language would you tell them to start with? And I said, this was so um, difficult to, because there's just not one language, but what you said just now, Melody, is through that visual storytelling, through the musics, through the intention, using art with intention to connect Black people worldwide. That's something that really, really stood out to me. And I want to ask you and go a little bit deeper when you talk about the intersectionality of the cultures. Because I think when we realize that we have more in common than not, mm-hmm. that's when the awakening happens. So can you think about a tradition, for example, you talked about carnival and you touched a little bit on the sacred traditions. Can you give us one more example of the intersectionality of traditions among black cultures?
1: Wow, I wanna take it a little broader and then we can bring it in. If you take, for example, the drum and the universality of the drum in native culture, in Asian culture, in Latino culture, in Black culture. The drum serves many purposes. It can be celebratory. It could be religious, which can also be connected to celebratory. Um, it can be performance, you know, straight up performance. And it's also a tool of communication. And so when you look at these, all of these various cultures, and you look at what has typically been kind of the dominant culture, right? The white culture we, we live in. Even when you take a rite of passage like death, for most of our communities, we celebrate spirit, we celebrate the ancestor, and in many of our churches or ceremonies and traditions, in a funer- funerary rite, we are singing and drumming and dancing because we want that spirit to to live. We want that spirit to be lifted. In all of these traditions, not just black culture, right? Um, but, and then we've, we've also learned, uh, I guess other, other practices and other traditions as have been imposed on us, the sadness of course that comes with loss because you know the, you experience sadness, but the other, the other traditions that have been imposed on us have been kind of not allowing us to celebrate that rite of passage that is death, which is just the transition right, it, in doing it our way, and so the fact that we've been able to even hold on to that, uh, and I use the tool of the drum, because the drum is one that, whether it's for a good time, or, you know, call for war, right, whether you have the talking drum, that what, mm-hmm. a certain rhythm, a certain pattern lets you know that the enemy was near, you know, so, and and that this is true in oh, so many other cultures, um, that are sim- not so far away, you know, we, we're not that far away from each other, we're really not so I I went broad with that, but when you're looking at like the Black community and we talk about what sustains us as a community, I come back to the basic concept of what the center is. Martha used to say, we are a telephone. The importance in our work is constantly reminding each other how much more we share in common than different. That Jamaica and Trinidad speak English, Puerto Rico and Cuba speak Spanish, and Haiti and Martinique speaks French. Those are the colonizers that came in. But we all arrive basically against our will as enslaved Africans, as enslaved people to these places, to these ports. And we bring that richness of our culture first. Yes. And we were talking earlier about language and and schools, you know, even when the kids in school are learning, you know, when the slaves came, slaves didn't come. Enslaved Africans were brought. Let's get it straight. Let's tell the history straight, because when we're talking to particularly the young people and we're talking from that deficit, when you don't understand or you don't learn in school that we come from kingdoms and queendoms, we come from a rich culture and rich practices that maybe didn't look like these other folks, but we had civilizations. And so when we're in the classroom using art as kind of our tool, our tool for communicating with young people, they get it. You know, we'll do a mask making workshop and we, you know, why this mask? Why these colors? What are we talking about? You know, kids will say, I have something like this at home or in my grandmother's house, I heard blah, 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 blah. So, so that they're they're living it and yet, outside of the home it's not being celebrated Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. and coming back to the school system when you're looking at a school system that's so very black and brown how do you not have curriculums and programs that reflect the experiences of these young people in the classrooms
0: i love that i i love that so much especially that talking drum piece you know and and the (laughs) and the actual uh connection and communication it's not a um language such like English or Spanish, but it's very much a language. And I want to ask you, I mean, because people who are a part of the center, participate in the activities, they are pretty much aware or have this awakening that, yes, this is how we can connect and how we can bond. But for those that may have still or still do have the mindset of separation and division, even though I think recently within the last year, I feel like there's a spiritual awakening in terms of understanding heritage and culture in new ways. For those that are still struggling with this mindset of division, how would you advise them? What would be the first two or three steps that you would give to someone who is still blocked in terms of seeing how someone from Puerto Rico and someone from Africa and someone from America, Black, black people are so much similar
1: rather than just different? That's a loaded question. Um, I will say this. When people come to a center event, when people come to our building, almost always folks feel they found home some way, somehow those words always, and I just came out of a staff meeting earlier today where we're saying it's time to survey our our audiences again, you know, kind of do a sample sample run of the types of people that we're attracting. Now, of course, with everything moving from in-person to online, I mean, we have international audiences attending all of our events every time we're on. And so that's a good thing, right? Like we're reaching folks far and wide, but, we still don't get a sense or a gauge of who that audience is, what they look like, why are they following us, what are they following when we present, which was a lot easier to do in real time because you could do a survey, you can give a little piece of paper, you can ask a question or two and, and get some answers. So to speak on how how do we kind of come together versus this notion of kind of always being separated or or functioning in these, in these silos?
0: Yeah, or someone who... Who may desire may have a little desire to explore the unity among black cultures, but they're, they're still being cloaked with the um, colonial views yes. that, that there's a black superiority
1: and a, a black inferiority among the cultures? Well you use a real, very key word, and it's what's colonization. And the first thing we have to do is rid ourselves of the colonized mind. Why do I say that? Well, we are talking to, Latin, uh, let's say, the Latino community. And, and we're having these conversations. It's not all the time. It's not everybody, folks from the Caribbean as well, who will say it's almost like Black Lives Matter. That's That's them. That's them. And don't include themselves in what we're talking about. Yes. Because it almost has been viewed as an african-american experience and even the definition of african-american is limited problematic right (laughs) but for example we're now i mean folks are talking about you know in the celebration of black history month and we celebrate black history all year long so i don't do any special programming out of the center in february it is what it is what we what we're presenting we're presenting as part of our regularly scheduled programs but we will get requests, say, from a school that says, oh, for Black History Month, we'd like to have a program. And we offer them Bomba in Plena from Puerto Rico or Haitian voodoo drumming classes from, you know, from Haiti. And we'll get a response like, no, 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 you know, it's, we're looking more for that kind of, and I know what they're looking for, the Southern kind of cotton-picking experience. And I'm like, no, we're celebrating all Black culture. Yes. Right? And so when I'm talking Bomba and Plena from Puerto Rico, we're talking about the town where my grandfather was born, which is Loista. It was the entry point in Puerto Rico where most enslaved Africans were brought. Mm. And it's still a town in Puerto Rico that's very rich in its blackness, right? And is a poor town, continues to be a poor town. So when we talk about Bomba, I'm saying, oh, you can't get, let me tell you, you can't get more Black than having Bomba dances. It's a dance of resistance. And it's a dance that has survived the, the transatlantic trip, right? So the conversations we're consistently having, we get it, you've got folks who are you know, on point and very progressive in their thinking. But when I mention the colonized mind, it's because even in our own homes, and I'm sure this is true of every listener, Who's who's following you today? In our own homes, we have that notion of good hair, bad hair, light skin, black folk, yellow, the term you know, yellow skin. Yes. Marry light because oh, the babies, right? Wide nose, thin nose, picking up your lips to trying to find. We do that ourselves. We don't need anybody else to do that because we're doing it to ourselves, and so. When I'm giving a lecture, let's say, to a primarily Latino audience, or students who might visit us, there's a phrase we have in Spanish that says "¿Tu abuela dónde está?" and it translates into "And your grandmother, where is she?" And what we mean by that is, you go back two generations, three generations, you got a black grandmama somewhere. This, in that lineage. There's <laughs> no denying it. You're not a Puerto Rican if you can't identify with your black. Indigenous and Spanish roots. Wow. Right? Same as Jamaica. You've got the Blacks, you've got the Indian, you've got the, 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 the English colonizers that came in. So, I mean, and this is true of all the places. I'm, I, I just picked those two. But when we raise that question, you know, people go like, huh? What? You know, and it, it's a very fine line. The differences that you, you know, that were highlighting so badly really don't exist. We create those differences. And so the issues of colorism yes. are real. The issues of being able to just understand that, yeah, there are some differences, but we're here and we've been able to sustain and maintain traditions that are grounded in our homes, grounded in our communities. I mean, the center is not in a downtown Fifth Avenue space. Well, the re- we probably couldn't afford it, but I mean, we, we intentionally are grounded in the community we serve, right? And right now we just opened a firehouse. It's going to be now three years in April. We were awarded a firehouse in East Harlem on 125th Street between Lexington and Park Avenues. That is a landmark building. In the last five years, we've seen all the developers coming in. Yes, gentrification on steroids, but we're not going anywhere. And I'm very clear that as an organization, we're there as literally landmarked by the city because this firehouse was built in something like 1868 or something. But we're also there to landmark the fact that whatever happens in that community, we're very sure we don't want to see a plaque go up that says Black and Latino people used to live here.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We're in fact there as an anchor institution that says Black and Latino people are here. Are here. Yes regardless of what happens in the
0: neighborhood who you are breathing fire and (laughs) life today
1: i need to get that phrase the the phrase that you said grandmother phrase yes how do you you want me to say i'll send it to you in the chat
0: can you tell me how to say it
1: E e tu tu abuela abuela
0: donde donde esta Oh
1: my God, I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, Oh man, when I throw that out, people just go like, wait, what? What did you just say? Yes. It may not be your grandmother, maybe your great-grandmother, maybe your great-great-grandmother, but stop denying that there is an African influence in your family or in your, somewhere along the line. Perfect example. My mother was, my mother was black. My brother's much darker than I am. And my brother married a Puerto Rican woman from the mountains of Puerto Rico. In the mountains, what we call the sticks, right? The hicks. She lived in the, you know, her family's from the mountains. Typically, white skin, blonde hair, blue eyes. That's the look, primarily. And so they have daughters who are fair skinned, maybe lighter than me, actually, because their mom is white. She she looks white. If She doesn't speak Spanish. you think she's a white woman. Blue eyes. One has dark hair. One has blonde hair they can't deny being black even though that's not what shows up when you first see them mm-hmm. because their grandmother was black my mom was black their father is black mm-hmm. right and so that's that term so you know they can come in and they know better than to come with that stuff to but <laughs> But their features are, they've got full noses, full lips, all the things that women kind of go for surgery for, right? They want those full lips. Now, those are my nieces.
0: Yeah. So that, that phrase sort of just fits right into your um, family example. You know, it's like, I, I think, especially for the listeners, everybody that is listening, I hope you don't miss this, but this piece is the mindset piece. Like just begin to adopt in your mind, your roots. You have a black grandmother somewhere in somewhere. your lineage. And well, if you can't imbi- identify her, you have to keep looking, keep looking, <laughs> keep asking, just know that that is in the history. Well, oh that's a picture
1: piece too, Monique. Ask the questions, talk to your families. talk to the elders, have your young people talking to the elders. That's, that's the history book. That is the history book. history
0: book. And I know sometimes it's it, it's challenging because sometimes you can't go too far. So on my dad's side, I'll give an example. Like we can go really far uh, on the Nigerian side, but on my mom's side, my grandfather, a grandmother, she can only go back to her dad, which she isn't even really sure. Mm-hmm. You know, he was just a, a a white Englishman. That's all we know. Mm-hmm. Um, And so it can be challenging when we're trying to, Find the answers to the puzzle pieces of our lives, but even if we can't find those pieces, understanding and knowing that we do have black African lineage in our roots. And I like what you said too, when you, when you talked about, you know, this view of, okay, black life matter, that's them. That's, that's them. That's not us and shaping this idea that, no, it is not them. It is really us. us, all it, of us. it is, it is all of us. So mm-hmm. that's something that really stood out to me today. And I hope our listeners heard what you said in terms of the intersectionality of the of the traditions. We have so much in common. The food, the music, there's so many similarities and use that as the bridge. Use that as the bridge of Black unity and understanding. Also, the whole art is a survival piece. I'm talking about activism. I'm talking about setting a goal, making sure that you consume Black art, Black history, Black music as a way of activism for the soul. I talked about that in a previous episode. And so I want to just point out when you talked about that being art of survival, it's not just art for art's sake, it's with intention, it's with unity,
1: it's with understanding, and also the impact. And finally, I I think I'm going to- Let me jump in really quickly. And the importance of supporting our institutions. Yes, nobody supports our institutions, And I say this, I mean, yes, of course, if you could support, make a donation to the center, absolutely, but wherever your listenership is, wherever there's an arts institution, a cultural institution, your businesses, Black-owned businesses, Mm. we have to support them. They're the ones struggling. All of us are struggling the most. Mm. And and in this time, and I call them the pandemics of COVID-19 and Black Lives Matter, because that, these are the pandemics that are hit. Our communities have been hit the hardest. Mm-hmm. We're not hearing the numbers. We're not seeing the numbers as clearly as they could be. The loss of, of life across the country, mostly people of color. Yes. Who don't have the access, who don't have the opportunity, who don't have insurance. And so wherever you can, supporting Black businesses and, and nonprofit organizations such as ours, the same way you support church as a charity, you know, a lot of our organizations are also charity organizations. We're all registered as what what are called 501c3, not-for-profit organizations. So, you know, supporting your Black dance company, theater companies, you know, a center like ours is really, really important.
0: Yes. I, I love that you made that point because it's like, um it's it's almost like you are supporting something. It's a cyclical process. It's, it's, It goes all the way around. We support the center. The center supports us and it just goes around and it continues in this cycle of renewal. So supporting centers like yours, it's a process of self-preservation because you are actually realigning your focus. You're you're gonna be able to show up differently with more confidence, with more understanding. There's something powerful about connecting to your historical past. And, and I think I'll just say this, I know like the ancestry.com um, websites and things like that, those exist when we do the DNA searches and things like that. Those exist because so much of the data and research shows that when we are able to understand our past and we're able to understand our history, it just creates an entirely new way of living and being. It's, it's that connection piece and that connection point for us. So before we begin to wrap up, Mm -hmm. I want to ask you about the Garifuna people, because you mentioned that, and I know that is something that is not widely discussed or or even well known or talked about. And so if you could just share a little bit about the Garifuna people before uh, we
1: begin to wrap up, that would be great. Well, what I was saying, I think this is probably before we started on the call, is that being in the Bronx, there is a large Garifuna community. And the Garifuna people are basically from El Salvador, Belize, and Costa Rica. And the Garifuna were one of the first communities of free slaves or runaway slaves that formed their own quilombos, their own, I can't think of the word in Spanish, but the word is quilombo, I mean, in English, the word is quilombo, and it's a free African community. Jamaica also has had a very huge free African community up in the mountains in Jamaica and formed their own systems, the ways of life and, and language. And the language being one, much like patois, a matter of survival. It was a communication that only went talking to one another you know, they could understand others would come in and wouldn't know, you know, the colonizers, if they should come in wouldn't even know what they were talking about. And so these are traditions that have slowly made their way out of Central America to places like New York City. And there's a huge community in the Bronx that gathers for celebratory reasons, for what I've found while it's performance-based it's really about being able to pass on these traditions to the children. And so that for me is just like, that's everything. Cause you can be in a space that's a family oriented activity, like a birthday party. And all of a sudden the drums and the songs and the stories come out. Mm-hmm. Or we can be in a circle, in a park, in a place where they come out kind of for this jam session. But the session becomes one where there's some elder or some leader of the group begins to talk about the Garifuna culture. And it's a very African lifestyle. I mean, it just is. And so we use, and we had this conversation at an event about two years ago, where I introduced the idea of the plantain. You have the green plantain and you mash up the, you know, you cook it, you boil it, you mash it, whatever. And for the Puerto Ricans, we create a dish called mofongo. Mm. In Africa, it's fufu. You're Making me hungry, Melody. Making Republic, it's mangu. It's the same, it's the same food with a different name. Of course, same pot, different spoon. You have the same food. We're talking about the plantain and the platano. And yet in all of our places, we all eat the mashed plantain. Some put onions, some put this, some put, but the mashed plantain is a common staple food in all of our communities and so when i first brought that up we were at a garifuna event and they were like oh yeah i can't think of the name of it now if you caught me off guard but they also have like this plate with the in. of course they do right see. Like, of course they do and so that's why i said to you one of my favorite places in the diaspora is it's the bronx it's new york city but is the bronx because just the various communities pockets of communities throughout this borough are amazing. And there's a lot of cross sharing um, of information and cultural, and maybe because it's me and I've been in this so long, but you know, anywhere I go and, you know, ends up, I will see kind of this cross section, this intersectionality that's happening, not only in what the similarities are, but even where there are differences or where we think differences are, that there's someone who can explain that why. Yes yes Why that's that? beautiful you know where were we moved or where were we forced to go that that got lost and you were talking about the ancestry there's a a website and i just learned of them this year with the pandemic african ancestry i want to say it may be af- africanancestry.com but they are african ancestry mm. and they um do some wonderful programming. I've done everything I've done with them has been online because of the pandemic, but they have a, a kit that does your ancestry to Africa. So this is specifically about Black people wanting to trace their roots.
0: Oh, that's incredible.
1: And so um, I don't even remember, I know I, I did a membership, it included getting my, my kit back. So I'm waiting for my results. And what it does is show you the lineage to Africa, so you may not get even to the point of the tribe. So it's to me, it's amazing because wow, ancestry.coms. You know, really, this takes you at least if it can get you with your foot in Africa that you can say, "Uh huh, I'm Malayan or Ghanaian." Yes, right. Um, It's amazing. So I I want to say it's they're called African ancestry ancestry. But if I if when we're off the call when I find it I'll send it to you so that you have it and you can share it with your Yes, I would so love that. Oh my god,
0: this has given me so much life. I'm so passionate about this conversation that we're having Melody and I just want to thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, sharing your insights, and even just those examples of the intersectionality with the drumming, with the burial, with the food. Mm -hmm. I mean, just all of those things right there, we can hear and learn that, oh my gosh, that's so true. Let's look at these aspects of our culture and the arts and support the arts so that we can begin to strengthen that love and that unity throughout our Black communities. Melody, before I close, is there any final words um, you would like to share with the audience? And also, where can we find you?
1: Oh, okay. Well, the center, um, right now the physical location is closed, but we are at 120 East, 125th Street in Manhattan, in New York. Our website is cccadi.org. That's CCC for Caribbean Cultural Center adi for african diaspora institute.org and all of our programming is there virtually past programs if you go to our website all of our programs are up and accessible to anyone and i would say my final message is um, the importance of this work and supporting institutions like ours is that we we need to know that there will always be a place for our children and our children's children and our children's children's children to be able to go home, a place that they can call home, a place that mirrors who they are. And so that's that's why we do what we do. I mean, it's it's really about the future generations and that we're, when we're no longer here, there'll be a place where we can tell our stories and tell them from an Afrocentric lens and tell them for, for uh, as our own truths and not as told by somebody else about us, which is usually wrong. Fabulous.
0: Listeners, you heard it. You heard Melody, make sure that you visit that website. Make sure you support, make sure you support your black businesses, your black nonprofits, and you know where to find me. You can find me on clearcommunicationsolutions.com. Make sure you like and rate this episode. Let Melody know how much you enjoyed this episode. And until next time, be well. Thanks for listening to the Bridge to You podcast. Visit dot or connect with me on LinkedIn, Monique Russell, or Instagram at Clear Communication Coach. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.